morning. It's good to be with you again after uh, many weeks. And uh, this, today is Ascension Day, as you know, and uh, I'm not going to preach on that traditional Ascension text um, because we want to get back to the parables, but I think the parable that I'm choosing to preach on this morning just fits perfectly because it's about this master leaving on a journey. Jesus has ascended into heaven and the call to his servants, that's all of us, how we are called to live in the meantime as we wait for his return. A little bit of a frustrating thing about this parable is that, uh, you know, different translations, um, the parable traditionally is known as the parable of the talents. And that word can cause some confusion. It's actually based on the Greek word talenton. So it's a, sort of an exact trans, literal translation of the word talenton into talent. They've translated it the newest NIV version as bags of gold. I don't like that translation. So I'm just going to stick with talents and tell you what talent means a little bit later on. Okay, I hope you're okay with that. Don't tell the translators of the NIV that I did that. So here it goes. Jesus tells this parable as he's talking about the end of time. Again, he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he, the master, went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. Look, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your money in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then... You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back, at least with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to hear this familiar parable, maybe in a new way this morning. Help us to hear clearly your will for us in this meantime, between the time that our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven and the day that we eagerly await his return. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, congregation, for those of us who grew up reading the Bible, Jesus' parable of the talents, as it is traditionally known, is not only well known, but seems pretty straightforward and predictable. A well-to-do landowner leaves town to go on a long journey, leaving all of his wealth in the hands of three trusted servants. As strange as that might seem to us, it was a completely realistic scenario to those who first heard the story. In that long ago Near Eastern culture, in which travel was mostly by foot or donkey or at best by camel, a journey meant a long time away. So trustworthy servants were left in charge of business at home while the master was gone. The twist in the story, of course, is that one servant is given five talents, another is given two, and the last one is given only one. Seemingly, according to the master's perception, I suppose, of each of their ability, at the time. So it seems obvious the master does not expect a whole lot of servant number three. And if you understand the story in this way, in this case, the master's expectations are exceeded by the servant's failure to do anything at all. If the servant had spent the master's money on wild parties, riotous living, and unrestrained shopping sprees. At least the servant would have had something to show for it. A massive hangover. Lots of new friends. Piles of stuff. If the servant had gambled away the one talent in risky investments, let's say he'd been sucked in by some pyramid scheme, well, at least stupidity can be forgiven. But what can you do with someone who does nothing except throw him outside, as Jesus said, into the darkness? Anyway, I suspect many of us are inclined to feel somewhat sorry for this one talent servant. After all, the poor fellow only has one talent. And what can you do with only one talent, right? But here's something we usually miss, and that I think the newer translation did try to correct, because of differences in language both then and now. One talent is actually a whole lot of money. At some point in time, people began to understand the word talent in this parable as referring exclusively to a mental or physical skill or aptitude or ability that somebody might have. But originally, the Greek word talenton 
from which we get the English word talent, meant money. And in this case, quite a lot of it. And so the new NIV translation is at least accurate in saying it refers to physical wealth in bags of gold. But technically speaking, one talent was the equivalent in those days of 6,000 denarii, or to put it in today's terms, 20 years' worth of an average person's average salary. In other words, the next 20 years are taken care of financially. So what do you want to do? What will you do? Never mind any excuses about what you have to do, nor, and we're talking averages now, not extremes, nor do you need to talk about what is affordable or not anymore. You have just received 20 years worth of salary in your hand. How are you going to use that wealth? And before you say that not much is expected of the one-talent servant, I want you to consider another possibility, another way to read this familiar story. Namely, that this one-talent servant is actually positioned to be the hero of the story. Though it's not how the story ends up. As the story goes, when the master finally returns from his journey and settles the count, to see what each of his three servants has done. Servant one reports with satisfaction, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I have gained five more. The master calls in servant number two, who says, Master, you have entrusted me with two talents. Look, I have gained two more. Well, okay. But seriously, how predictable, how boring is that? Good job, guys. But nothing spectacular, given the amount of talents they were given. After all, as everybody knows, in today's economy, the rich get richer, while the poor get poorer. And so the stage is set for the third servant to come forward with something completely different. In baseball terms, the third servant is batting cleanup in a three-person lineup. Everything is set for this one talent servant to be the hero of the whole story rather than the goat. I'm suggesting this is how we need to read this story because of the rule of three. The rule of three. It is a rule that operates in telling stories and jokes. And even if you have never heard of the rule of three, you know how it works. There was a priest, a rabbi, and a pastor. Or there was a doctor, a pastor, and a lawyer. A joke begins, and you know the punchline will turn around whichever person is sitting in third place. For example, a lawyer, a doctor, a preacher went hunting. An hour into the hunt, with all three spread out, this big buck deer comes walking along, they all fired at the same time, and the buck dropped dead. When they reached the poor animal, they discovered it had only one bullet hole, which led to an argument about who had actually nailed that deer. Happily, a game warden soon came along, 
and asked what the problem was. And when it was explained to him, he said, I'll have a look and I'll tell you who shot it. Well, it took just a few seconds for the game warden to declare it was obvious the preacher had shot the buck. How, they all asked, did you figure that out? Easy, he said. The bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> that wasn't actually funny. <laughs> or, there was a doctor, a pastor, and a lawyer. Oh, and a little boy. So that's four, I know, but this story has the rule of three with an extra beat. They were out for a Sunday afternoon flight in a small private plane when suddenly the plane developed engine trouble and started to go down. The pilot grabbed the parachute, yelled to the passengers that they better jump, and then bailed out. Unfortunately, there were only three parachutes left. The doctor grabbed one and said, I'm a doctor, I save lives, so I must live. And he jumped out. The lawyer then said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world. No offense, Ted. So, I deserve to live. He also grabbed the parachute and jumped out. The pastor looked at the little boy and said, My son, I have lived a long and full life. You are young and have your whole life in front of you. Take the last parachute and go in peace. But the little boy handed the parachute back to the pastor and said, Not to worry, pastor. The smartest man in the world just took off with my backpack. Even if Jesus did not know there was such a thing as the rule of three, he certainly used it, didn't he? Think about Luke 15. It begins with the religious leader of the day complaining that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. In response, Jesus tells not one, but three parables in a row about things that were lost a lost sheep, a lost coin. And then the story that is perhaps the most loved of all of Jesus' stories, the one that best captures the amazing, extravagant, unconditional love the Heavenly Father has for each of us, the story of two lost sons and the prodigal father. You see? The rule of three. In another well-known parable, Jesus tells about a man who was mugged and on the dangerous road from Jericho, and he's left for dead. A priest, a Levite, a Samaritan travel down the same road. When they see what has happened to the poor man, first the priest, then the Levite walk around the mugging victim and carry, out, carry on with their lives without even lifting a finger to help. But the Samaritan, seeing the beaten and bleeding victim took pity on him. Again, the rule of three. A priest and Levite, both of whom would have been expected to stop and help, did not. But a Samaritan despised by any and every self-respecting Jew, the very last person anyone expected would have stopped, does not pass by and reaches out to help. The third person, whether the father of the lost sons or the Samaritan, gets this wonderful opportunity to do the wholly unexpected. Both the father's actions and that of the Samaritan surprise and amaze the listeners of Jesus. 
And in that way, each parable fulfills its mission to startle and to surprise us with God's unsettling but ultimately liberating truth about the nature of grace in the first case and the reality in the second case that red and yellow, black and white, Jew and Samaritan, all are precious in his sight and should be in ours. The possibility is here for the same thing to happen in the parable of the talents. Here are these two reliable and and, and predictable servants. Good people. Yeah, you bet. Master, you gave me five talents. Here's five more. Master, you gave me two talents. Here's two more. Way to go, guys. And thereby, Jesus sets the stage for something truly amazing to happen with servant number three. Master, you gave me one talent, and I have had the whole home renovated and redecorated. Don't you love it? Master, you entrusted me with one talent? Did you notice that new school in the poor part of town as you came home? Belongs to you. Master, when you left so many years ago, I didn't know what to do with the one talent you gave me, but I had a good feeling about a couple of little tiny companies on the West Coast. One was called Microsoft, the other one was called Apple. So here are a hundred talents in return. None of this you gave me five, here's five more. You gave me two, here's two more. Instead, it's I only had one, but here's 50, here's a hundred. There are so many wonderful ways this story could have ended. Rather than ending up as the loser that he did, this servant stood on the threshold of great possibilities. He has has the opportunity to be the real hero of this story. It is the rule of three. The question is, how will this play out in your life and mine? Because you realize this is not just a story about a master and any old servants. This is a story about followers of Jesus between the time of Jesus' ascension and his return. This is a story about you and me, about your life, about my life, your story, and my story. And here's the problem. I suspect that a lot of us think of ourselves as one-talent people. In terms of the way we popularly use the word talent or talented today, most of us are average, ordinary people. And of course, we've all been taught that we should be humble, so don't expect too much of us. Jesus, however, teaches us to think of ourselves as his followers completely differently. Most of us may be one-talent people, But one talent is a lot of money. And so any and every follower of Jesus has been given a lot. No, no. Any and every follower of Jesus has been given a fortune. Not only are you alive and breathing, but blood flowing through your veins, strengthening your limbs. But you are a servant more than that. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. Even more than that, 
God the Holy Spirit, sent by God the Father, sent by God the Son following His ascension, sent to empower and give gifts to each of God's children. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes His home in you. Now what are you going to do with that? With the riches, with the gifts, with the life God has given us. The problem is, as somebody once put it, while showing up is 80% of life, sometimes it's easier to hide home in bed. According to Jesus' parable, this is the problem God often faces in trying to get his servants to show up to be the heroes in the story he is telling, God is creating right now in the very places where you and I live, and you and I are called to serve. Often it is easier for us to hide in bed because we focus on our weaknesses rather than the God whose power wrote Paul to Christians in Corinth is made perfect in weakness. The power of the Holy Spirit residing in and made available to every follower of Jesus. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, with which I assume most of us are pretty familiar, uh, the first and most well-known book in his Chronicles of Narnia, four English children are sent by their parents from London to live in the countryside because of the bombing blitz by the Nazis during World War II. There in the home of Professor Kirk, the children discover the kingdom of Narnia by slipping through the back of an old wardrobe, something like what we call the closet these days. And in that kingdom of Narnia, the children find themselves outfitted with armor, with, with swords, and fighting a battle of right versus wrong and good versus evil. In Narnia, they are given the chance to be heroes. Even Edmund, the traitor who causes the death of Aslan, the great lion of Narnia, who represents Jesus, even Edmund gets a last chance to prove himself to be selfless and brave. In his biography of C.S. Lewis, author Walter Hooper tells of some parents who read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to their young son before putting him to bed one night. But not long after they tucked him into bed and went downstairs, they heard terrible Loud noises coming from upstairs, almost as if the whole house were coming down around their ears. They rushed upstairs to check on their son, but he wasn't in his room. No, the noise was coming from their room and from the big wardrobe in their room, where inside they discovered their son, small hand axe in hand, bravely back hacking through the back of the wardrobe, trying to find a way into Narnia into this other world he'd heard about. And wouldn't all children, wouldn't all of us, love to find our way into that amazing world known as Narnia, where we too could be God's heroes. But the place for heroes is here, and it's now, in this world in which you and I live. Maybe you wonder if you are up for the calling to be a hero. If you are up to it. But Jesus in his parable of the talents 
insists that it's exactly the role for which each one of us was created. The role we are all given by our Master and Lord in heaven. And which we rehearse and practice here in worship every Sunday. And in all of our ministries throughout the week. In Narnia, the great lion Aslan, who rules Narnia, explains to one of the children, and I quote, Child, I am telling you your story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. So too, Jesus' story of the talents is about each of you, and it is about me. It is about our life. It is about our story. You and I, too, are given a fortune. You and I, too, have the Holy Spirit of God who empowered the apostles to turn the world upside down for Christ, residing in your heart. And what are you going to do? What am I going to do with that? What are you going to do with the riches and gifts and the life God has given you? As one person once put it, the fact of the matter is, if we take this parable and the man who told it seriously, all heaven, quite literally, all heaven is in a sense breathless at this moment, watching on tiptoe, wondering about you and what kind of person you are turning out As followers of Jesus and servants of God, each of you and each of us has been given more than enough for us to be God's heroes, to use our abilities, our gifts, our energies, our money, our wisdom to grow the investment God has made in us. Jesus' challenge to each of us is to never be afraid, like that third servant, to take risks in serving the Master, just as the Master, as God does, in entrusting us with everything in the first place. You and I are not meant to play it safe, to bury our treasure, to hide our talents, to hoard our gifts. We are meant to live wisely, boldly, passionately, courageously, generously, to be ready to give a good account of ourselves when the Master returns. So that we too might hear the words all God's servants long to hear one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. And please, please do not be mistaken about God. God, as the third servant in Jesus' story, tried to argue. God is not out to get us. God isn't hoping that you're filled so that he can come down hard on you. God is a God of grace. A God who knows that even the greatest heroes of faith have their failures. A God who forgives us and loves us anyway. Who by the Holy Spirit makes our hearts his home. Wishes us well. Urges us on. Believes in us. God is confident that in his strength and love, you and I can live a good and fruitful and abundant life in the time he gives to each of us. We know God loves us that much because he gave us his only son so that nothing in life or in death 
can ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus and from the abundant life he wishes for and has in store for each of us. Nothing at all from the God who by that same love in Christ Jesus gives each of us who confess Jesus as Savior and Master everything we need to be God's heroes today. His good and faithful servants in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for making your home in us. We thank you for entrusting us with the talents that you have, with all the wealth that is at our disposal. And Lord, above all, with your Spirit working in us and through us to use the gift you have entrusted to us to make a difference in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in our world for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are at the Father's right hand, leading all things to the end. We thank you that along the way, all along the way, you are with us. And so help us, Lord, to serve you bravely and boldly and passionately in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.